All right, welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pod of thunder and rock and roll. I'll tell you someone that hasn't gotten a haircut, Glenn Danzig. That's right. And you know what else he, he hasn't done? He hasn't done what everyone thought he was going to do. As a matter of fact, he did quite the opposite. He's reunited with the Misfits for shows at two Riot Fests, one in Denver, Friday, September 2nd, this Friday. The second Riot Fest show takes place September 16th in Chicago. It's Danzig, bassist Jerry Only, guitar player Doyle Von Frankenstein, and get this, former Slayer drummer Dave Lombardo behind the kit. This is the first time that Danzig has played with the Misfits since his very last show with them, October 29th, 1983 in Detroit. These shows are going to be legendary. You need to get tickets if you can. And much like the Guns N' Roses reunion, and when they just booked a few shows at first, I bet you that the Misfits are back and will be doing a lot more shows. Now, this interview here was recorded before uh, Danzig announced his re- reunion with the Misfits, although we do discuss the possibility of it. And now that I know what I know, uh, he was uh, he, he, he was uh, he was faving me a little bit, which is great because this is a very rare Danzig interview. Danzig is never done a podcast before Danzig very rarely does interviews but I've known Glenn for 20 odd years and when I asked if he would be on Talk is Jericho he responded with open arms I met up with him at Lemmy's birthday party back in December of last year and I just ran into him and asked him if he wanted to do my show and he said yes and we made it happen so Danzig is going to be talking all about the misfits the early days making a name for themselves at max's kansas city in new york city and the circumstances around the original lineups breakup plus danzig is not just completely back with the with with the misfits he's also working on a new solo record danzig sings elvis yeah seriously he's taken on elvis and it's not going to sound anything like the misfits and if you think about it danzig does have kind of a, a an elvis type of a vibe even an elvis type of a voice so it's not too far off danzig sings elvis i want to hear that he's also recently released another covers album called skeletons we're going to talk about all that music and comic books and wrestling and rick rubin and the time the misfits video was banned by mtv so much to talk about with the legendary danzig it's a great conversation it's a rare conversation and i know you're going to dig it right here on Talk is Jericho. You know what else you're going to dig on the Jericho Network? The brand new podcast, the Team Tiger Awesome Show on the Jericho Network. Listen, the guys are two episodes in. Episode three is dropping this Sunday. You got to check it out. If you loved uh, Who's Hot and Who's Not, the Star Wars Symposium, Batman versus Superman, you are going to love the Team Tiger Awesome Show. The Irrelevancy as a matter of fact, this week they had a contest of any fan would do some uh, fan art of Helen Mirren and Vin Diesel making out because that's uh, the, where the topic went. And uh, some fans actually did do that, so I, I retweeted it. So uh, lots of hilarity on the Team Tiger Awesome Show, the second podcast signed to the Jericho Network. You should go check it out and do yourself a favor. Subscribe on iTunes. Subscribe to Team Tiger Awesome. Subscribe to Keeping It 100 with Kona and Huge Runaway Hit. That one is. And, of course, Talk is Jericho if you haven't done that as well. And while you're there, leave us comments. Comments and five-star ratings. All right, do it, do it, do it. Danzig, coming up. Talk is Jericho. So uh, here in the undisclosed location studio in Hollywood with, right. with, uh, with Glenn Danzig. <laughs> and this is really cool, man, because I, I come in here and you're playing a guitar and you, you introduced me to a, a girl that you're in there with. It's uh, Sheree Curry from The Runaways. And I got that after I saw her face. I'm like, oh my gosh. And you guys are working on a, a Patsy Cline tune. Yeah, so what happened was uh, she originally came down uh, graciously and, and sang on a, a track for the Skeletons record, which is all covers. It mm-hmm. just came out. But, and it came out great, but we couldn't use it because uh, we changed some lyrics and uh, 
the lady who's in charge of uh, Lee Hazelwood's publishing wouldn't let us use it. And rather than getting a big legal thing, we just left it off. But I wanted to have a track on there with her. And so we're doing a track together, and hopefully it's going to be on a limited edition one with some extra tracks that didn't make it on the So, So it's that specific in that if you change a line, they sometimes don't like that, publishers? Usually nobody cares, you know what I mean? Mm. They, they're happy you're covering their song, and you're not really changing the integrity of the song or anything. So, yeah, we didn't think there would be a problem. Uh, and, of course, you know, anytime you cover someone's song, it's an homage to the person. Of course. You know, uh, and so, uh, we, you know, so yeah. this is what we're doing now. <laughs> but, you're, yeah, it's, uh, I love Patsy Cline, especially the early version of this song. Um, which is Walking After Midnight. Oh, okay. So it's way before it got, you know, overproduced and she recorded it later. So it's a really cool version and I'm making it a little darker, of course. danzig yeah. it. Yes, that's what I'm doing. <laughs> that's what I have to do. <laughs> but I love the concept of the Skeletons record because, like you mentioned, it was a cover record and so people will be thinking, well, what are you going to be covering? Is it going to be you know, punk stuff or Ramones or whatever? But it's very eclectic signifying your musical tastes yeah i see a lot of well a lot of the fans know but you know some other people may just think you know dancing it's heavy or it's whatever but mm-hmm. but yeah my tastes are all over the place i like everything from classical to black metal you know yeah, yeah, so yeah. it's it's all over the place i like the inclusion of elvis too well yeah so everyone knows i'm a big elvis fan yeah. you know and i'm you know uh I'm actually doing a Dancing Sings Elvis record, you know, and, I, and one of the reasons for that is, you know, I'm a big Elvis fan, of course, but I'm thinking, and I'm like, I remember when artists would do a whole record, and it would be like, so-and-so sings this, oh, and nobody does it anymore, and so I was just like, you know, you're always doing Elvis songs live, or, you know, whatever, we've done them before, and I'm just, you know, why don't I just do an Elvis record? So you're doing a record, Danzig Sings Elvis. Yes, yeah, all done, pretty much. That's yeah. a great idea. And so it's, but it's, it's not heavy, it's not like, you know, a Danzig, like, you know, the Elvis track on the Skeletons record is pretty heavy. Mm-hmm. Um, Which track was it? Uh, Let Yourself Go. Right, okay, yeah. So, the new stuff uh, that I'm working on for the Danzig Sings Elvis record is more... Like a traditional, you know, thing. So I'm not going to really tour anymore. But if we do some shows for the Elvis thing, we're going to do it in a very intimate, like loungy kind of thing. It's a great you know? idea, and just and it's going to be a really cool thing. And a, you know, we did this uh, legacy show uh, for TV, and the director Mark Brooks, who does Metalocalypse, and now mm-hmm. he does that that new show um, Moonbeam City, I think it's called on Adult Swim. Yeah. Yeah. He had the idea he wanted to do this Danzig legacy special, but he wanted to make it like the Elvis 68 comeback special. <laughs> and so when he finally pitched it to me and the managers, I was like, well, you know I'm a big Elvis fan. I go, can we do the thing in the in the round in the that round. he did? You know, where we brought Scotty Moore back in the Memphis Mafia or like banging on things. And he's <laughs> like, and he's just talking and really relaxed. He said, yeah, we have to do that. So that was my favorite part of doing it. And so the people there was only probably like – Two or three hundred people, maybe, in the round. It was very intimate, and it was really my favorite part because we were just goofing off, telling jokes, playing the songs wrong, and <laughs> and but it was just a very cool, intimate thing. So I, I, I think I like something. Did, like did that. you wear leather pants and a black leather jacket? 
No, but I wore my leather jacket. Okay. I'm always wearing a leather jacket. <laughs> I haven't stopped wearing one since 1970 that's, or whatever. That's such know. a cool look, though, when Elvis. I mean, that 68 comeback special. Yeah, yeah, he had the whole black leather yeah, suit. And that was I his, didn't do that. And that was his literal <laughs> comeback. He hadn't seen him for years or whatever. He came back that's, like a cool, you know, that cool was hip correct, dude. Yeah. You know? it's, let me ask you this. As, as a singer and having your, your style and your range and your wheelhouse, when you're doing Elvis songs, because he's a tremendous singer. Incredible range. So do you, how do you try and fit that into the dance? style but still you know keep the Elvis you know vibe to it well here's the tough thing I mean in some ways you know because Elvis just kind of did Elvis right mm-hmm. but when I'm singing I'm singing singing and I'm also screaming and howling too so it's like I mean, you're a singer you're blowing course, your voice out right you know how it gets yeah and so keeping it salvaged every night and so you know you, sometimes you're doing three in a row I won't do four in a row anymore yeah but even three in a row it's like, a lot you know and doing what we're doing and i'm not just standing there so i'm running Put around show crazy, yeah. you know and it's it's not easy especially to keep that like you said keep getting the low notes and the high notes and so it's 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 which, a job uh, which tunes are you doing that are the harder ones the elvis ones well uh again you know how we talked about uh doing stuff on skeletons people wouldn't think mm-hmm that I would do. There's a couple on the Elvis, uh, Danzig sings Elvis record that people might expect, but then there's other ones they're not going to expect whatsoever. They're going to be like, what? (laughs) But I can guarantee you they're going to dig it. I actually, we were just on tour and we were in Memphis and I was a guest on Elvis radio on satellite in Graceland. Oh, that's cool. So I not only uh, get to take over, you know, Elvis radio for an hour with the DJ and play my favorite Elvis tracks. But I played, of course, the Let Yourself Go heavy version. And then I played um, You Were Always On My Mind from the Dancing Sings Elvis. So people got a taste of it. So that's, they kind of know what to expect. Cool. Yeah, it was really cool being on that because I listened to Elvis radio all the time. <laughs> and I have friends like a Dez from Cold Chamber right? uh-huh. and from uh, Devil Driver. They listen to Elvis radio all the time. So, hey, Dez. <laughs> <laughs> Shout out to Dez. You know, it's amazing to me too is is people forget as the years go by just how huge Elvis was you know how monumental similar to like the, the, the Beatles are kind of a generation later but 10 years from now people kind of forget and I always wonder will there ever be another iconic figure like a Sinatra an Elvis a Michael Jackson that might be the end of the line I, you know what what um, Elvis was lucky in that when he did what he did, it kind of revolutionized everything. And then a bunch of people were around him at the same time, kind of doing what he did, but only kind of doing, mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. And so, like you said, and then the Beatles came later and kind of like, he's you know, re-revolutionized everything. And here's these guys that didn't just perform other people's songs. They wrote their own songs. Mm-hmm. And similar with the Rolling Stones, kind of had the Beatles and the right. Rolling Stones were the bad boy version of the Beatles. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. But they all, you know, not only did other people's songs like traditional covers, but they wrote their own music. And I think that's uh, the difference between people like the Stones and the Beatles and Elvis and of course you know new artists now too right write your own songs then that was they were like the first generation of, of musicians that could prove that you could play your own songs and write your own songs yeah and, and have hits yeah yeah exactly exactly <laughs> you know yeah you know it's funny you mentioned you know doing the the Danzig sings Elvis and this ties into when I saw you last where we kind of talked about this was at Lemmy's birthday party oh, yeah yeah reminds me of Lemmy when he did Headcat where he would go do rockabilly tunes with Slim Jim and yeah. just do his own thing 
thing, but were you a pretty good uh, friend of Lemmy's? Um, I, I wouldn't say I was his best friend. Yeah, but yeah. We knew each other, and uh, and uh, we've done shows together, of course, all over the world, in Mexico, and mm-hmm. you know, Europe, of course, everywhere. Um, but um, I remember it was 94 or 95, I was in Europe, and I was the host of Viva TV, which at the time was kicking MTV's ass over there. And they gave me a, a list of people as a guest, and they said, who do you want? And, of course, I'm a major Motorhead fan, and we done shows. And then Lemmy's name was on there. I said, I want to interview Lemmy. <laughs> and then I've interviewed him. I had to speak a little German in the beginning and then introduce him as Lemmy. Uh, Lemmy von Motorhead, you know. <laughs> but, yeah, it was great. Uh, you did, you, did, did Misfits and Motorhead kind of start around the same time frame? I think... Um, I'm not sure. They might have started before us. Maybe only by a few years, though. Maybe. You know, because it's interesting because they were kind of a, a metal punk band. and You guys were almost a punk metal band. It was like a kind of a mirror image, but just a little bit more on the other side of each way. Uh, yeah, I we definitely, um, the stuff I was writing was, I guess, you know, metal punk. Mm-hmm, you know, because mm-hmm. I'm a major Black Sabbath fan, of course. And so punk, of course, you know changed so many people's lives and it was kind of weird yeah and there might have been no other band other than venom that you could put in that category right 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 and so yeah uh, um i've been a motorhead fan for ages Mm -hmm. you know yeah 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 it's it's funny because like you know you talk about how Motorhead was influencing you. My first taste of Misfits slash Danzig was I always obviously Metallica, always see Cliff Burton wearing the Danzig shirt or, oh, yeah. the, you know, the, or the, the Misfits Misfit skull. skull. Yeah, yeah. He had the Misfits skull. And then, of course, when they did um, uh, uh, Green Hell and um, I can't remember, this escaped me right now. Last no? Caress. Last Caress. And it's, it's, so that again is a perfect example of like this very powerful punk metal that's that's did that put kind of put you back on the map in a bigger way when Metallica's covering your stuff um i don't know i think it made people aware of it but that time though uh, i was already doing sam hain right and so actually those guys would come into town and we'd hang out and uh, i'd give them a bunch of shirts yeah shames always wore a sam hain shirt yeah. yeah and then we'd also you know Go out maybe one or two nights like drinking or whatever, and you know, uh, getting in trouble. We got in trouble. I know a few times uh, there was a, a time in Ireland when we were on tour with them, and we got in a lot of trouble. <laughs> but it's all stuff you think back now on. You laugh, you know. And but at the time we were laughing too. It's just that we didn't know how much trouble we were going to get into <laughs> the next day. <laughs> right, and you woke up in jail or whatever it was, right? Yeah. Yeah, you know, yeah, it, it, it was a good time. Yeah, I'll say that. But it did open the door to a whole new fan base. Like I said, I was one of the the people. It could, that, yeah. yeah, I think, yeah. By that time, uh, when that record came out, we had already signed with, uh, like, my band Danzig mm-hmm. had signed with Rick, okay, Ruben. So, and actually, Rick and myself, uh, my lawyer at the time. And James and a bunch of other people, I think Slash and uh, this other guy, I guess we were all hanging out at the Rainbow. Um, and my lawyer was so happy because all his bands were with him at the table. And uh, he's still my lawyer, by the way. <laughs> and Rick and I had to go back out to the Valley to, to finish up some stuff on the Danzig record. And James came out and sang on a bunch of songs on the first Danzig record. Was Which great. I was listening to it on the way over here, and you forget, like, first of all, Definitely, you have to have a Jim Morrison influence as well. 
Or is think, that just your natural style? I of think it's it is not it's not a lot of that, but I think um, there might be some of it. There's a lot of Elvis, but also people forget that I listen to a ton of blues. Mm-hmm. Like one of my favorite singers is Helen Wolf, and I think maybe there's that connection because I think right. if I'm not mistaken, Jim Morrison liked blues. Like we all have kind of a similar voice. It's like Elvis has a deep voice. I don't have the high, you know, like yeah. the Rob Halford or Bruce Dickinson voice, and I wouldn't try to, to yeah, do right. that, you yeah, know yeah. what I mean? Because it wouldn't sound good. <laughs> but, uh, you know, so I have that deeper register voice, and I like a lot of blues, especially, you know, Howlin' Wolf, well, Willie Dixon, Muddy Waters. You know, I love that stuff, and I sing that stuff all the time. Uh, in the 90s, we would do acoustic sets every once in a while, and it was predominantly blues. Mm. You know, just two guitars and me screaming, you know, smokestack <laughs> lightning. Right, yeah, whatever, yeah, yeah. You know? And so, yeah, I think it comes from that. Just having that, there's, when you think about it, there's not a lot of singers with a deeper register voice like that. Mm. So It's very um, uh, unique. Like, when you hear your, your voice, you know it right away. Oh, that's well, that's cool, thanks. You know what I mean? Like, it's, it's, a, it's a pretty cool... I don't cool, know, because I don't yeah. listen to my <laughs> It's my voice, right, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> All right, there are some seriously talented luchadors in AEW, and not all of them speak English, which can make putting together matches a little challenging sometimes. That's why I signed up for Rosetta Stone. I'm learning Spanish, amigos. Amigas, see? Already learning. Haha, Rosetta Stone is the most trusted language learning program. You don't even have to learn Spanish, though, because Rosetta Stone has 25 languages, including French, German, Korean, Arabic, and Polish, and Japanese. That's what I'm going to do next. I spent a lot of time in Japan, and I still work with a lot of Japanese wrestlers at AEW like Takeshita. So having a better handle on the language will definitely show in the ring. Communication is key. And learning Spanish on Rosetta Stone has been so fun and easy. They've got this true accent feature that gives you feedback on how well you're pronouncing words. Sort of like having a personal trainer for your accent. I'm using the app, but you can also do the lessons on desktop or laptop. I also like that I can download the lessons and do them offline which is perfect for a plane. I can sit there on a flight and work on my Espanol. So don't put off learning that language. There's no better time than right now to get started. For a very limited time, Talk is Jericho listeners can get Rosetta Stone's lifetime membership for 50% off. Visit rosettastone.com slash Jericho. That's 50% off unlimited access to 25 language courses for the rest of your life. Redeem your 50% off at rosettastone.com slash Jericho today. That's rosettastone.com slash Jericho. Do it today. How instrumental was Rick Rubin in, in kind of taking you guys uh, even higher? I think um, when I first uh, met Rick, because we were talking, to, I was talking to lots of different labels at the time. Mm-hmm. And when I met with Rick, it was pretty crazy. And at the time, he was a very hands-on producer. I don't know, you know, what he does now. Mm-hmm. Um, but uh, he told me stuff that I agreed with. And him and I were kind of on the same wavelength of where I saw myself going and what I wanted to accomplish. And so that's why I ended up signing with Rick. And uh, I think it worked really good in the beginning. What was the mindset that you wanted to do? Well, I just, uh, I said, look, I want, you know, my records to be like all the records that I like, where it's like people don't listen to them just for a year. I want people listening to my stuff and coming back to it for like 10, 20, 30 years. I want to be like, you know, an artist that makes a difference and that people are inspired by. Mm -hmm. And that, you know, uh, that's what I want. He goes, that's exactly as I see you. 
that's what I see you doing, like being an album artist. Mm-hmm. If you have a, a hit record, great. If you don't, you go back tour and then you come back home, you do another record and go back out. And you're not doing it just to do hits. You're just going to make the greatest record you can. Kind of like ACDC and Black Sabbath and all these other longevity bands. Longevity. Yeah, yeah. yeah. And like a longevity kind of thing. And I said, that's exactly how I see what I, you know, myself doing. And But yet here you stumble onto Mother, which becomes a generational hit. Like I, I was, I was listening to today. Just remember like when I was living in Knoxville, Tennessee at the time, wow. which is another story, which I'll <laughs> tell you in a second. But that song was on MTV. Like every five minutes, it was massive, massive, massive song. They didn't really want to play it. Really? No, they, when they first came out, uh, they banned us. Because, Why? Because the video uh, had like you had a your sacrifice shirt and some crazy <laughs> stuff. And Rick gave them a wrong video by accident, and they showed it on TV. And then they hated us. They hated Rick. They hated Slayer. They Rick had, at the time, Rick had us, Slayer, Dice Clay, and somebody else. And <laughs> they hated all of us. <laughs> so what happened was, at the time, MTV had a competitor called the Video Music Box. You know, you could call up and for a dollar or 50 cents, they would play your track. And okay. it was exploding there and on, you know, FM radio all over the country, like six years after it was released, because we put out a, a thrall record, which was live. And it's just people going crazy. Yeah. And, and so um, we came back from tour and we had a hit. A huge hit that just yeah. blew up. It's I used to be. And so MTV had to play it. Is my story is that and they didn't want to play it, but they had to play it because everybody else was playing it. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And then they kind of yeah because it's such a big, big song it, to the point where um, I used to be obsessed with uh, Guitar Hero, uh-huh. and I used to play Mother all the time. I could play the best <laughs> Guitar Hero solo for that tune. That's awesome. <laughs> I went to uh, Cincinnati. I was living in Knoxville, and I went to see Metallica. Danzig and Suicidal, I yep. believe it was. Yep, I remember. And Rick was there, and unbeknownst to me, he was the secret investor to the wrestling company that I was working for. That's Smoky Mountain Wrestling. Smoky Mountain Wrestling, yeah. Rick and, used to send me tapes of that on the road. So, because I, I met you there, and I was, because you actually, yeah, I've watched Smoky. I was like, I, had no, I couldn't believe that you knew who I was, not that you knew who I was, but yeah, I've seen you on Smoky Mountain Wrestling. He's like, wow, that's cool, man. So were you one of those guys that would be on the bus watching VHS tapes of wrestling? Yeah, of course. I See, it's so funny. I was just telling this to Cherie before. I, I think I told you already. I wanted to be a wrestler. Really? Yeah, uh, but I didn't think I was big enough. And uh-huh. then I met some wrestlers, and I'm like, I could have been a wrestler. But it, it all worked out pretty good for Yeah, me, so. I think you did okay yeah, in the yeah. end, right? But, you know, I, you know, where did you grow up? Uh, back east. Okay, yeah. in Jersey? Jersey, New York, and Boston. Also, my mom's relatives were all from Boston. So were you watching like WWF? WWF, yeah. And But also, we got Florida Championship Wrestling, and I got Mexican Wrestling on the Mexican oh, stations, okay. too. You know? um, so I watched it, and we had AWA, too. That's what I grew the, up the on. Vern Gagne yeah, junk. that's what I grew up yeah. on. Because I'm from Winnipeg, so that's yeah. what. Yeah, <laughs> yeah but yeah. So I mean, uh, in high school, I, I used to wrestle, and then I, uh, I saw my friend's arm snap when he fell in a wrong hold, and it was in a metal pins in three spots. Ooh, yeah. Like, you know what I think? I'm gonna <laughs> go back to my band. But that was always part of your gimmick too. You always had like the big chest, the big arms. That comes yeah. from other stuff. <laughs> 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 so. Um, yeah, but um, 
it, it did turn out okay for me, so I guess it's mm-hmm. better that it wasn't. I get the same amount of injuries as you guys do have. <laughs> yeah, but it was funny too, though, because like you said, in rock and roll, most guys are skinny and they're you know they're cracked out or whatever. But you always look really big because if you have any muscle at all in rock and roll, you look like a giant. Yeah. You know, it was you and the guitar player from Alice Cooper. Remember that guy, Kane oh, Roberts? Oh, I remember him. <laughs> yeah, that, I wasn't that big. Yeah. But, yeah, so um, it, it just, you know, I think it was just uh, I at the time I wanted to take my body and my mind to, like, this other spot. Mm-hmm. And that's what I just did, mm-hmm. you know? Did you, uh, who were your, some of your favorite wrestling wrestlers when you were, when you were growing up getting influenced by them? My favorite all-time wrestler is Freddie Blassie. <laughs> nice. <laughs> and then I like uh I like superstar Billy Graham. Uh and you're not gonna be in my top five. Ah, that's but okay. I do, but I actually when you did come to to the WWE and you did the whole Raw's Jericho, uh-huh. that was incredible. Oh cool. And I think it took you from here to just Well it, it just you know, it it's where you should have been. Well, it's the same kind of similar to what you're saying when you went to go with Rick Rubin. You yeah. go from a certain level to through the roof because yeah. of the push that you're getting and the, and the machine that's behind you. You still got to go on the road and do it. You know what I'm talking about. Of course. About. You got to pay your dues. Of course. So we played a lot of shitholes on those first <laughs> yeah. two records. We, yeah, and a lot of other But, like, you know, I'm sure you have to do the same. Always. But that, I think... That everyone was waiting because I have tons of friends who are wrestlers, you know, in other bands and just friends you know, mm-hmm. in general. And when you came to to the WWF and did that first, Rose Jericho was, yeah. it was electric. Yeah, it was cool. cool. I, see, I love wrestling still. So Do you still watch? Yeah, when something cool happens, I'm so excited because it's you know I don't watch football. I hate football. I hate baseball. I hate all that. I like watching wrestling because it's like this crazy. Spectacle, yeah, alternate soap opera universe, kind of, but but still, it's very physical and violent, and you know that's the kind of stuff I like. You know? <laughs> like I love the movie, the original movie Rollerball, because it's just so crazy and violent, and just you know, and that for me, wrestling, you know, adding all the the entertainment value and the craziness and the storylines, it's just. It's my thing. Have you seen, like, what are some of the other, like, electric moments that you can recall from, from wrestling? Is there other things that stand out for you? Let's see. Um, there's so many other wrestlers I, that I love, but uh, I used to like um, Macho Man when he first broke in and was, like, the anti-hero or whatever. Mm-hmm. You know, he was supposed to be a bad guy, but people liked him, so yeah. I still call him bad guys. I don't use all the, <laughs> yeah, inter- the-, I don't use all the internet terms. So. <laughs> Me neither. Yeah. So, but, yeah, but there's so many great characters you know mm-hmm. in wrestling uh, that you know uh, i think one of my new favorites is the wyatt family it's like this cape fear charles manson family mm-hmm. or something it's pretty cool they actually base that um a little bit on cape fear but also on house of a thousand corpses oh cool the, the, rob. the family yeah rob right oh, yeah. Yeah, yeah yeah are you you're a big horror movie fan oh of course yeah. so what kind of stuff do you like from uh, I like Hills Have Eyes, the original. Yeah. Uh, I like so much horror stuff. It's you know, but then there's stuff I hate too, like some of the new, like uh, you know, a movie will be a hit, and then they'll make 18 movies like it. Right. You know, I hate that shit. Hollywood goes through those phases where they'll put out, um, you know, okay, here's the creepy doll movie, and then there'll be 20 other creepy doll movies. Yeah. So like you know, it's like for a while it was like Conjuring and and. Uh, not insurgent, whatever it's called, in, uh, some in, in something, whatever insidious, 
and the, the, a bunch of movies all similar within the same year or two. I think they're on Insidious 8 now, aren't they? <laughs> yeah, exactly, right? <laughs> and a couple of years before, there was Saw, and Saw 2, and Saw 3, and Saw 4, and Saw 8, and all those type of Actually, things. Actually, the stuff I'm into now is like, I think there's some great stuff on TV now. Oh. I watch Bates Motel. Uh, I like the first two seasons of America Horror Story. I like the Lizzie Borden Chronicles, but I also like America Unearthed, where they, you know, trace the Templars and all the other stuff. And the history you know isn't really the history you know. This is all stuff I've been into for decades. So explain know? that a little bit. Like we're talking about America, like the Templars. Okay, so America Unearthed is basically the show, and I'm, I, I want to say it's based on this old book I got back in the late 80s called or mid 80s called America BC mm -hmm. um, I think it's more than that though but basically it's saying like you know you think that these people discovered America but they didn't discover America and this is you know this and this is this and look at this and look at all this you know stuff and you're just like whoa hmm you know? So who are they saying discovered America? Well, of course, they're showing you like Iberian trade routes and, you know, they're showing you Celtic graveyards in America and oh. they're showing you all sorts of crazy stuff. And like uh, this guy who has the show America on Earth is showing you a Templar uh, burial tomb in Arizona. And then they're showing you Mexican pyramids in Minnesota and and Wisconsin. And that they're saying that, you know, Atslan, the, the Mexican homeland, is actually up north. It's not You're kidding down. And then they're showing you proof that when, you know, uh, the Aztec Empire was under invasion, they sent the gold back up north, Montezuma's gold, I guess, and they can't find it now. And just crazy stuff like that. And that the Templars came over and landed in Nova Scotia, which everybody knows. And, yeah. And then you have government trying to, like, cover it up and say no 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 and it's Christopher people, Columbus and the pilgrims yeah and then they start disinform you know what a disinformation campaign is right well explain uh, disinformation is where you put out false information as if it's real real yeah and then people believe it right which would be seem like a government trick for many things for for centuries yeah yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you know and this is the kind of thing that you know it's so and it's so easy to do disinformation campaigns now on the internet because there's no, you know, it's like the Wild West. Well, all it takes is, is two or three, you know, tweets or, or Facebook posts or articles and people start believing it as if it's fact. Exactly. You know, and that's, that's the world we live well, that's in. That's how they used to do disinformation campaigns with media. So a lot of different, um, a lot of, you know, we're going to get into crazy government stuff. But basically it just... So Which I know, love, by the yeah, way. Just, well, then you love a lot <laughs> of the stuff I read. So but basically a lot of different people in government control a lot of the media so it's so easy to even before the internet to put out a disinformation campaign mm -hmm. and the government does it all the time when they don't want you to know something they'll just put something out there and then you know it's supposed to shut everybody up mm. yeah, and that's the way it goes yeah i've had a lot of conspiracy theorists on the show saying that basically oh, cool. if you go into like the early 1900s like the rockefellers and all these types they had so much money and were manipulating the entire banking system that whatever they said basically goes yeah you know well, you have people who run all the newspapers in the country. Right, yeah. Like Hearst and, you know. Yeah, the Hearst family. Yeah, and so they can do whatever they want because they own all the newspapers. Yeah. You know? and so it, yeah, it's, there's a lot of good books um, that you can get on that stuff. Mm -hmm. worth, you know, the Bilderbergs. Uh, What's the Bilderbergs? The Bilderbergs is, is a group that's been around for a long time. Uh, a lot of people... Uh, I guess maybe in their early stages, people would call it the New World Order or whatever, or the Illuminati before that. Mm -hmm. And basically, it, it, it's a group that wants, you know, wants to or does control everything that goes on in the in the world that we know.
I love that stuff, man. You know what I mean? Well, then you should get the Bilderberg Group. Uh, then you, there's another Bilderberg conspiracy book, but there's another good book called the uh, the Committee of Three Hundred. Uh, the conspirators hierarchy mm-hmm. that's really good because mm-hmm. it talks about the Delanos and the Roosevelt's and okay the, the Chinese opium trade and all that kind of crazy stuff and ties it all in and- I mean well like you said there's so much more things that we don't really know and that's kind of the way that people like it I think there's people that want to know and then there's other people like I don't care I don't, yeah you know I don't because you know I've always said this before with knowledge comes responsibility mm-hmm. and some people don't want to you know don't want to get involved yeah don't want to do anything about do it the thing yeah. yeah and that's cool too actually you know it's that's your prerogative you know i was thinking about that even today when i parked up front of the street and that you know, turn the alarm on your car i'm like if someone breaks in the car and the alarm's going off no one's going to do anything you know someone's going to walk by and go hey you know <laughs> not in la yeah not in la not LA. i was going to ask you a question what what is your last name danzig what nation national it, it's german but it, there's a big dispute about it uh being german so we'll just say it's, it's okay yeah. so i'm going to german yeah. do you so where are some of your the, the biggest countries that, that you tour in where danzig has a big value and big name uh states mm-hmm. but uh europe of course um you know, Scandinavia, Germany. Uh, it's it's amazing, though, like pretty much a worldwide, you know. Yeah, we've been touring Europe uh, and Scandinavia, you know, forever. Mm-hmm. So it's like from the beginning. Uh, some of the mother video actually is shot at festivals and it shows in Europe. It's not just shot at the Irvine show. It's shot also, uh, I took the camera crew for about a week over to Europe and uh, England, you know. Mm-hmm. So. Well, I mean, like, because you kind of pioneered like this style, like we talked about earlier. Plus, you have a lot of different interests with horror movies and stuff, and also comic books too, mm-hmm. with the Verotic series, which is which is really cool stuff. It's crazy. Yeah, yeah. that's been going on for a long for years. <laughs> yeah, we started. Uh, I decided I was going to do it around ninety three, ninety four, and then we put out our first books uh, at the tail end of ninety four, and we're still going. So, are you writing? You write them? Yeah, I write all the stuff now. Before we used to use other people. Now. Um, I'm writing all of it now. So, so you you have a lot of similarities to me in that it's not just about one thing. It's about doing a bunch of different things under the brand name of Danzig. Mm-hmm. I, 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 you know, it's my podcast or with wrestling with Fozzie and all the different things that I do. It's so important to to spread your wings that way and not be afraid to try different things. You know what? Um, for me, it's all about still like the art aspect of it also. So like music and writing songs and performing and everything. I still love it. You know, creating, doing, and creating, like you said. Right. And so, you know, there's some people that just want to be in a band, that's it, and that's great. But I'm, you know, and maybe you're the same way. You want to do other stuff. Mm-hmm. You want to experiment and try different stuff, and there's maybe stuff that you're interested in. You want to do it. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You know, and I remember when I started the comic company, I was like, nobody was doing it. And, you know, I'm a comic fan of not just United States comics, but. Japanese, European, and their stuff is everywhere from little kid stuff to crazy adult stuff. Mm-hmm. And I'm like, why don't we have it here? And I'm talking to all the fans at the end of the night, and 80 to 90% of them are comic fans, and they're asking me about this comic and that comic, and I'm like, somebody should do a cool company. And I'm like, I'm sitting back finally, and I always wanted to do it, and I'm like, you know what? I'm just going to do it. It's, yeah, it's you the timing is right. And, you know, I know that there's at least a certain portion of people out there who want to see this kind of stuff too. Mm-hmm. 
you know, and that, you know, and we don't have any superheroes. You know, I've said it many times. There's nobody in spandex running around saving the world. And, you know, we don't have any of that. We just have crazy characters killing each other and going crazy. When I was a, a kid growing up in the 80s, I discovered the EC comics. Yeah, yeah. You know, which was before the comic code was invented. Yeah. Which, if you go back and look, look at it, it's just these horrible things happening. And they're comics. But there's that, worse comics than EC comics from from back in that time frame. Oh yeah, there's, so there's see because I'm also a comic fan. Yeah, yeah. And so um, there's pre-code horror comics that are just crazy. Where just like the covers are just severed heads and someone people, taking a bite of a severed head like as an yeah, apple or something. Someone about to stick a red hot poker in someone's eyeball. And yeah. That's all the cover is. It's a big eyeball and a poker getting ready to go, fire on the other, getting ready to go in the eyeball. I mean, just crazy stuff. Right. And you're just going, you know, it's not bothering me, but I guess maybe some parent might see your kid looking at this, you know, comic with a poker getting ready to stick in someone's eye and go like, <laughs> yeah. But not me. I'm right. not that person. I'm like, yeah, this is cool. That's mm-hmm. that's the comic. I don't, I don't want to read Superman. I want to read that. You yeah, know? yeah. That's me. Because yeah, there's there also these magazines they used to buy called Creepy Magazines. Creepy, which eerie, was yeah. eerie, and they were black and white uh, horror yeah. comics. Yeah, like just newsprint type of stuff. Yeah, they were, those were cool. See, that's like the stuff I liked. And then at that time, I was discovering underground comics, and a lot of the really really good artists at like DC and Marvel didn't want to work there and they started working for those companies mm. like Bernie Wrightson and all those guys yeah the famous guys yeah, yeah. Frazetta had already moved on to you know paperback covers and getting more money than everybody mm. else so yeah but all those guys uh, that's one of the reasons I used uh, Kaluta for the Black Aria record because I love his stuff right yeah, 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 yeah. so you know uh, and then I know the second Black Aria I used uh, Bill Sienkiewicz okay yeah I know the new Anthrax they use Alex Ross yeah so they, 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 you know, they, 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 See, everybody likes you know their favorite artist, and yeah. you can get in that position where you can actually hire these people to do your cover. Like Bisley, I've been working with him now since '92 is when I had him do the Thrall cover. Okay, and we actually filmed it with my crew that was over there filming the festivals and mm-hmm. everything. And um, I've been working with him since 1992. We still work together. We're working on a, a new book again, uh, uh, another lyric book. Is there uh, does Verotic come out every month or like just no. when you want to put them out or what happened was uh, it started becoming everything I didn't want it to be like the other companies we started using artists and writers I didn't want to use just because we had to put out a book every month or every mm-hmm. other month and I just finally I just put the brakes on it and I saw one of the books we did and I didn't like it at all and I was like this is stopping right mm-hmm. now I just. We're only going to put up books when we have something to say. Is there still a comics code now? Or is that no, kind of gone? that's gone. So that I was think, just kind of in the 70s and 80s or something? I think it was in the – it was uh, starting uh, probably around 53, right? Right, yeah. yeah. Uh, maybe 54, something like right around there. And then it lasted until the 80s, I think. But I think towards that. the 80s, the indie comic scene started happening. Right. Um, and then I, I think towards the end of the 90s, it was gone. Well, because back at that time, too, when the code was there, there basically was just Marvel and DC. That was it. 
you, there was maybe a few like you know, gold key or whatever, some other ancillary ones, but there really yeah. wasn't a lot of options in that time frame. Yeah, th- I, I think that you know Archie Comics was having no problems with the code. <laughs> <laughs> they probably weren't even checking the Archie books. They were just like, yeah, whatever. Yeah, yeah. let those through. But I think that actually in the sixties and seventies, and even in the early eighties, I think they still had to send the book to the code to be approved. Mm. How crazy is that? Yeah, right? If we had to send the Verotic books to a code, it would be like <laughs> 4F, no. Yeah, 4 right, right. <laughs> yeah. It would be just like, uh, here's a, it's a 24-page book. You have to take out 24 pages. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> so do you still do uh, – how much touring do you still do on a yearly basis? Uh, well, now I'm done. Oh, you're not touring anymore? No, no, I heard no, you no, say no. that earlier. I wasn't sure if I heard it right. Yeah, no, I'm not going to tour anymore. I stopped touring back around 2005. Really? That yeah. long ago? And then the manager said, well, what if we just do like a, a regional tour here on the West Coast and you fly home all the time? Because uh, my problem isn't being on stage. Mm-hmm. It's the bouncing around on the bus and not being near my stuff and being able to do, you know, we talk about the creating and all that other mm-hmm. stuff and doing all this other stuff I want to do. And you can't really do it on the road. So I said, okay, we'll try it. Let's go out for two, maybe three weeks, and I'll fly home every couple of days. And that worked. And so then they said, okay, well, why don't we try something a little more, like go out to the Midwest and back, and you fly home, you know, same thing, two, three weeks. Mm -hmm. And I tried that, and that worked. So then I think it was around 2008, they said, okay, let's try the whole country, and you fly home all the time. And then that works. So I said, okay, I can do this if we can do it that way. So then when it came time to tour, I would do that. Mm -hmm. This last tour, it didn't work that way. And I wasn't able to to fly home as much as I wanted to just because of rooting. And, Mm -hmm. you know, I won't take flights that stop places. I want to direct. You want direct. Yeah, I don't want to get stuck in... You Sheboygan. Know, exactly. I don't even know where that is. <laughs> Wisconsin. <laughs> okay. Nothing, but, but nothing against the fine people of Sheboygan. But I don't want to get stuck there. Yeah. <laughs> so uh, it didn't work out that well. And I did two runs in the States on this last thing like that. And I just said, that's it. I'm, mm. I'm done. You know. So I'm not going to stop performing. I'm just not going to tour anymore. I'm, you know, so you know, maybe I'll fly here, do a show, and then fly home. Gotcha. Know, or, or I'll do local shows here in you know Southern California or Northern California, whatever. But it's not going to be make like, it more of an event type thing. Yeah, I'm just not going to do that thing. And maybe you know, three or four years from now, I don't know, we'll revisit it if I can fly home, you know, or maybe just do regionally kind of thing. And you know, it's hard to be on the road for two, three, four, five weeks at a time. Yeah, when you're younger, you know, you don't care. But right. as you get older, you, your priorities change and things are different. And you know, like a we were talking about before you're doing lots of different stuff mm-hmm. you know you want to be able to still do all that different stuff now and it's not as important you know right you want to if you can do all the things you want to do then it, of course you're going to want to do mm-hmm. it but if you can't do you miss uh the, the the buzz of being on stage the live element of it there's nothing like and you know it, mm-hmm. it you know there's nothing like being on stage and sending out that energy and getting it back from them because then it just amplifies and you turn it out into uh, something even more powerful and then they send it back and you send it back and it's pretty intense it's Mm -hmm. cool you know because we're not doing a Tom Petty show we're doing (laughs) you know doing a crazy you know sometimes our pit is insane you know and you know and then you got everybody else on the sides it's not in the pit going out of their minds and mm-hmm. to me that i love the, i'm i'm helping them 
and they're helping me. You know, I'm forgetting about all my crap I have to do, and they're hopefully they're doing this experience and forgetting about all their crap too. Mm-hmm. And they can leave that concert just like wow. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Man, that was great. Yeah. You know, exhausted, whatever, you know, emotionally, physically, whatever, but they had a great time, an experience. I don't want to just do a concert. I want people to have a great experience, something that they can't get anywhere else. Hmm. That's what I look for when I go to a concert. Sure. I want to be knocked off my socks. Have you ever seen a concert? Like, what's your favorite concert that you've seen either when you were a kid or or now? Has there been bands that do that to you? I still, when you, you see Slayer... Mm. And you hear those, it never gets old. Yeah. You know, so I went to, uh, we played Carolina Rebellion last year, whatever it was. And I went and stood not in the pit, but right at the front of the stage, like wrestling my, you know, and that band is so powerful and you not forget, but you, you, you quote unquote forget until you see it again. Like you said, it's just so powerful, man. Nobody does that like, like I like distinctive bands and I think that's one of the things that Rick when when we signed with him he was telling me he goes I don't want like middle of the road bands he goes I want bands like you I want like Slayer I want an artist that has something to say and I want people to react either negatively or or positively to mm-hmm. and I was like that's exactly what I want. I don't want anyone middle of the road about me I want people to either love me or hate me yeah you know which is I mean? great that's yeah, the way well, it should that's be that's what i want i want that extreme reaction i want them to just like be like mm-hmm. yeah mm-hmm. and you know and that's one of the things that rick and i agreed on i was like you know you want to be an artist you have to have a statement you have to be saying something right yeah you want to have that uh like i said that distinct unique yeah. quality where people just know that's that's dancing or or whatever band. whoever yeah. it may be You're like when we were talking about motorhead before as soon as you hear lemmy's voice you know it's Motorhead, but also you hear that bass. It's it's like a guitar-y kind of bass, right? Know? And it's like he's pounding on the thing. Yeah, which is one of the things I love about Motorhead because that's how I play guitar. I pound on the thing, <laughs> which is so. I mean that that his rig was called Murder One, mm-hmm. and like you said, just to see like I obviously since he passed away, and uh, you know. The, when musicians pass away, I mean, it's always sucks for friends, but Lemmy was a friend too. So I was watching a lot of his stuff and just remembering just not just as a singer, as a personality, as the drinking whiskey, but just as a bass player. He's a great player, man. Yeah. You know, and that murder one, that just shooting out the, the distortion of it, the power. Well, that's another, like, you know, you're talking about Slayer and you hear the riff, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. But when you hear Ace of Spades, you know it. You know. Yeah. You know the song. You yeah, know what exactly. that is. And then you hear Lemmy's voice, and you know you're hearing something. Yeah. Pretty unique. And that's the saddest thing. I mean, we had we had Lemmy, and then Bowie, and then Glenn Fry all pass away in a short period of time. Not only are you losing the the guy, the legendary guy, but the music like it will never be played again live by those guys. And like Motorhead, Motorhead. We lost Motorhead and Lemmy. That's that to me is like hard to envision that. Yeah, um, with Bowie, I was lucky enough to see some of the earlier Bowie really? things. Yeah, uh, I didn't get to see Ziggy. That was a little before. Yeah, a little you before know, your time. Yeah, but, but I got to see uh, the Diamond Dogs and the David Live stuff at Radio City. I actually took pictures at Radio City because I was going to New York Institute of Photography. No kidding. Manhattan, yeah. So you're in the photo pit taking pictures. Yeah, I would, <laughs> I would bullshit my way with my camera all the time. Uh, yeah, press. Where's your password? My guy's got it. I don't know. Because yeah. as you know, the secret to being somewhere is just acting like you're supposed to be there. Yeah. As long as you're It's the like vibe. It. Yeah. And so I would do that. And I learned that in school, they just like bullshit your way up there and get whatever you're going to do. You know? And I was able to take 
lots of pictures of lots of bands back then. I have Sid on stage at wow. Texas, Kansas City. I have Lou Reed, God, the Cramps backstage at CBGB's, Richard Hell hanging out at CBGB's. I mean, just like name some bands. I got actually, I got Iggy on stage with Bowie playing keyboard. No kidding. Yeah, uh, for the Idiot tour. Yeah, because they worked together quite a bit. Yeah, well, I, he he helped do the Idiot uh, record, and then he came out on that tour as a keyboard player and backup singer. There was such a scene uh, in New York yeah. in the seventies at that time frame. I've got a, I got Hunter and Ronson on stage. You know, uh, I think I think my manager's been talking. And I think I'm going to do a photo book. I'm not sure of all my old photos. From Why not? Time. Right? Yeah, I guess I got to find all the stuff and everything. But yeah, find I, a cardboard box somewhere. Somewhere. Or yeah. <laughs> but uh, yeah, so uh, yeah, I, I'm pretty sure. It's, That's yeah. I just watched this. Um, I was around on Netflix, and I just saw this random Blondie documentary, Blondie in New York, and it was like this, you know, 70s Blondie and making one of the records or whatever, and just all of the vibe in the scene, and just there was so much different kind of, you know, it was punk, but it was disco, but it was this, but it was that. It was just a great vibe. It must have been cool to grow up at that time. In the beginning, it was all kind of lumped in. It was kind of uh, one thing, punk new wave, and then it kind of, punk became more violent and... Mm -hmm more angry and new wave became more acceptable and fashionable yeah yeah, yeah. even though there was still fashion with punk but it wasn't the same kind as <laughs> and that's when it's kind of schismed and uh and then it you know hardcore happened ah the sweet sound of sports you love from sling the collide of football pads the squeak of shoes on a basketball court the crack of the bat on a home run. The slice of skates cutting across the ice. But what about this one? That's the sound of all the sports you love. All at once. Starting at $40 a month. Experience it all live with Sling. Sling. So what was your, your guys' mindset when you first started the Misfits? What were you trying to get at? I just wanted to destroy the world. <laughs> I, I basically I think my mindset was like a lot of everybody else who was in, into punk we just hated all the crappy bands putting out records that sucked and like 20 minute leads and drum solos and it was like you know, yeah, yeah, yeah. it was you know brought it back to being about the song mm-hmm. like, being able to play it like you know some artiste you know soloist or whatever just yeah, frog rock. Yeah, yeah, it was the vibe. Yeah, because a lot of people still don't get that about punk. That it was more about the vibe, the 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 thing that made punk. Like you can copy a punk song and it sounds like a punk song, but it kind of isn't a punk song. Mm-hmm. You got to have that reason. Well, the, the thing that people uh, demean punk about, oh, they didn't play, they couldn't even play their instruments. Well, that was half of it. It was just the attitude of just being like, kill the world, like you said. Yeah. Well, but then if you listen to early rock and roll they said the same thing about them people they said oh they can't play their instruments are terrible yeah, yeah. It's like, and, but and we were talking about Elvis before but man when I was doing this Elvis record trying to sing some of those songs his range was incredible I would like to see some of those other people do those Elvis songs and not just range but the feel like if you listen to In the Ghetto for example yeah. like he sings that like so emotional the, the, the his, his vibrato and the, the, the notes that he chooses you, you, you see this scene that he's setting and that's part of it too this is the crazy thing i remember actually rick and i were talking about you know i'm like doing 
vocal after vocal and I go man my throat's getting you know messed up he's like Elvis used to do 92 takes of each song and he would do like five songs a day I'm like I'm not Elvis <laughs> yeah this ain't 1955 yeah, dude this ain't, yeah exactly <laughs> that's um, what Pro Tools and, and editing and <laughs> but it, it tells you exactly like here's this guy and you know he's doing all these takes and each vocal is probably getting better not you know worse mm-hmm, and it's mm-hmm. just like yeah, you know, you start thinking about it, and going, "Wow, man!" Well, it's the know? same as the Beatles when, when you know, they would do they did the, did the first record like in I think it was in twelve hours, the Please Please Me record in twelve hours, the whole record. But they'd also been singing, you know, fourteen hours a night in Germany, yeah, you know, on pills and drinking and on speed. So I'm sure they had it locked in at that point. I don't know about any of that stuff. <laughs> but, uh, Someone told me that's what okay. happens. It could be <laughs> Germany. I think they were playing in the Reeperbahn, right? That's oh, right. You know what? We. uh I remember we were playing early on in Danzig's career. We were playing the same club that the Beatles played in the Reeperbahn in Hamburg. Was it the Star Club or the uh, Kaiser Keller? I forget. Yeah. It was, they, and they actually gave us the tour and everything. Yeah, yeah, It was yeah. pretty funny. It's funny because I, w- I was in Germany in 93. I did a six-week uh, wrestling tour there, but you wrestled the same arena, uh, arena same tent every night. <laughs> and I, I went. I was like, I went to the Kaiser Keller, and you walk in, it's like, this place sucks. Yeah, it's a it show. stinks of, like, <laughs> beer, and it's just, this. Oh. Oh, this is it you know it's pretty funny because when we played there our drummer passed out because there was no air they passed yeah. so it's tight. downstairs it you, so yeah. hot it was just like it, it, it was anyway but that's kind of like you said the, the, the beauty of, of like these legendary places that really kind of sh- like the ECW arena yeah. you know the famous ECW arena that, that it's basically is a bingo hall and there was no air conditioning in it or, or, or heat in the winter so it was a shithole but it had that vibe you know but you know what if you were playing the two shitholes under that <laughs> yeah. and, you, and you get to that shithole at your oh, yeah. at, at that stage in your career you're like hey it's this a is kingdom great. yeah yeah <laughs> <laughs> did you um, did you guys uh, I forgot what I was going to say um, when you're talking about um, CBGB's famous places you used to hang out there I used to hang out there um, but later on I didn't hang out there because um, we the Misfits like I would book the band oh really we didn't we kept on getting tryouts there and I'm like, well, what do you mean tryout? If you like this the first time, yeah, well, you got to keep coming and doing tryouts. And uh, Really? Even if you played there, you'd have to go back and... And you didn't get paid. You didn't get billing. Okay. And so I started getting frustrated. And I'm like, when are we getting our own show? And, you know, and like, well, we're going to have you do play with another one of our terrible bands. And, you know, <laughs> you'll bring all your people. They don't bring anybody in. You don't get paid. Yeah. And finally, I'd had enough. And I'm, I knew the people that... Um, that were booking Max's at the time. Max's Kansas City. It was right. a famous venue. Velvet Another famous venue. Yeah. New York Dallas. I think this is, you know, Aaron Blondie. Smith. Yeah. yeah, all they, well, Blondie was a CBGB. Okay. So, so you're either one or the other. But what happened was Max's was making a big push to get, you know, bands. And I knew the booking agents there, and I was telling them my problem. They go, why don't you come here? We'll make you a house band. We'll give you billing, and we'll pay you, and we'll give you a bar tab. <laughs> and we were Bingo. drinkers at the time. I was like, okay, that sounds great. You know, this is way better. You know, and we, you know, Misfits made it out of Maxis. We did not, and it just was like, psh, and before we knew it, we were playing um, uh, Irving Plaza, Hurrah, you know, and then on and upward. Getting bigger and bigger. Yeah. Did you, were you doing the white paint in the, that, at that time, too, with Misfits? Uh, the first... Irving Plaza, I did the, uh, I didn't, the other guys, uh, Jerry was the only one who put on the, gotcha. uh, the eyes, but on the first Halloween show, yeah, I did the full skull face and this, you know, I was wearing the skull shirt by that time and the gloves. And then, um, I, 
think I did it a couple more times and then stopped doing it. And then it then this, the music started getting more uh, thrashy. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know. Yeah, and it started changing really. Because like, you left the Misfits in like 84, 83, 85? 82, and I think I did one final show uh, in 83. The band broke up, actually. Mm-hmm. It wasn't like I, you know, I, and I had moved on to doing Sam the Sam Ain thing. Yeah. yeah. Does it blow your mind uh, where fans, and God bless them, where they still say, are you ever going to go back to the Misfits? Really, my mindset is like, you know, I'm glad you like the old stuff, mm-hmm. you know, uh, you like it better than whatever, you know, uh, but, uh, you know, I'm so into doing what I'm well, doing you, right now, you know, for the last 35 years, yeah, yeah. you know, so it, 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 the success I've had with Danzig is just, you know, crazy and, uh, you know, huge, it's yeah. a lot of work, uh, you know, and a lot of people besides myself to thank like Rick and the d- different people who are involved, you know, with the labels and, mm-hmm. you know, booking agents uh, who took a chance on us and you know and what i was doing you know and so uh, you know it's just been crazy it's i couldn't have asked for you know it's 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 a little bit of a stroke of luck too when you think you know like you just never know right place right time oh sure it is absolutely absolutely luck is maybe part of it but it's a lot of hard work once you get in there they're not just going to hand it to you you've got to you know and it's probably like that in wrestling. Well, absolutely. You know, they give you the ball, but you got to run with it. If yeah. you can't run with that ball, you ain't going anywhere. And that and that's not just for the first five years or ten years. That's up until this moment that we're sitting here yeah, right, right now. now. Yeah. You know, you, you got to be hustling and constantly uh, expanding your horizons. Yeah, you're as good as your last record and your last tour. Absolutely, you know? yeah. absolutely, right. Yeah. So, what what do you pl- what do you want to do then over the next few years? You mentioned you're not touring anymore. Um, will you still do like I, I see you having like a, an annual Halloween gig, like at Universal Theater or something? You I know? wish Universal, where Sheree and I were just talking about that. It's like it was my favorite place to play, and it's gone. We did the last show there oh they, they took it down yeah it's torn down so oh, we man. did the last rock show and then there was a comedy show the night after but when we were there you know doing sound checks and everything all the demolition trucks were in the back yeah the tour buses. <laughs> and so i was like oh man this is my favorite place to play we did a shirt just for that night and it had all the dates danzig played universal like oh wow seven or eight shows there wow oh, since since 92 to now, like mm. seven or eight, you know, and oh, we've played other places like Irvine or whatever. Sure, know. of course. But this, for me, it was my favorite place. A nice size stage, pit in the front if you want to go crazy, seats going up like this so it's not a bad seat in the house, sounded great, and it's gone. Yeah. You know, and the, I, we put Cherie on the bill, and she'd always wanted to play there and never had the opportunity. It was what made her... Uh, she saw Bowie there on the Diamond Dogs tour, and it's what made her decide she wanted to be a singer. Really? Yeah. And she was like... At the Universal Theater? Yeah. And so I was like, hey, how would you like to come and do this show? And she was like, oh, no, you're 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 kidding me. I, I've always wanted to play there. And, and it was great, man. She did a great job. Were you a Runaways fan? Uh, yeah, I remember seeing them in uh, at CBGB's. That's great, On the man. old stage. <laughs> yeah. I love how you're uh, such a fan. So that's cool that you're working with her then. Yeah. You know, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Though when I originally wanted to do a duet uh, on the record for the song, all the managers were like, oh, you got to get this hip person or that hip person. And I wanted somebody with more like history, legacy, and like a some more like kind of cred, not mm-hmm. just like the hip flavor of the month, you know, girl. And I was like, what about 
Sheree Curry. And they're like, what? <laughs> and I'm like, yeah, what about Sheree? She's great. Like, ah, I don't know. I'm like, trust me. <laughs> and she did an incredible job. And, you know, she's, you know, she's a legend. Especially. Looks like an OG. Yeah, like, totally. Yeah. It's, it's funny because um, we did the Kiss Cruise this year and Lita Ford was on it. And just watching her play, it's like... You, they, this chick has been doing this for 40 years and she's still yeah. kicking ass. Yeah. And then I went to the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame two years ago when they had Joan Jett singing with Nirvana. And you think that's kind of a weird mix, but she was she was the perfect fit. Like all those, all three of them, you know, they got that cred and that spirit. When you think about it, the Runaways were the first real all-girl band. Right. Yeah, I mean, yeah. There were girl bands before, but they were kind of like manufactured. Yeah, I don't. I don't know if they played their instruments or mm-hmm, whatever. You know, mm-hmm. they might have been singers, but they were. I think. I, I don't know if I, am I wrong, but they were, I, I don't even know if there was any that even pretended, like besides like the Partridge Family or whatever. But I think the Runways that were was definitely an all girl. The, no, no, no but it was yeah, band. definitely the first all girl band. Yeah, you know, so, I can't think of any other ones. And playing like. Heavier music, yeah. heavier rock and roll, yeah, kick-ass yeah, tunes, yeah, right? Yeah, exactly. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> a couple of last questions, Glenn. What's your favorite uh, horror movie? If you have to choose, oh, I don't know if it's a horror movie, but my favorite, uh, my favorite movie. I, I don't know if it's considered a horror movie, but I love Jean Cocteau's Beauty and the Beast. Really? Yeah, it's just the craziest, like interesting, it's call. impressionistic, but it's also really cool. The cinematography's great. I mean, every time he kills an animal or something, and he's the beast, his hands are smoking and there's blood all over him. And I mean, when when the they're walking down the hallway, there's these arms holding these candles, and they light as they walk by each one. And they sit at the table. And you'll see the furnace, and there's these faces that they've molded real actors into the wow. furnace. And then all of a sudden, they'll go, and smoke blows out of their mouth. <laughs> they sit down at the table, and you'll see an arm holding a goblet, and it just starts pouring stuff into their. It's pretty crazy. It's what year cool. is that from? Oh, is it, is it's, it fairly old? It's, it's, I think it's the mid to late 30s. I'm surprised that you've never made a movie. I'm about to. I've been trying, and yeah. so it's, you know how it is in Hollywood. Yeah, I directed a lot of the dancing videos, and then also uh, I've directed a lot of the you know the four camera shoots uh, for the live shows and things like that. Mm-hmm. Put together all the home videos and tied them all together with the with the stuff that goes in between everything, and so. Um, hopefully this year it's gonna yeah because I think yeah. you, you remind me a lot of, of, of Rob Zombie a lot of similarities between he you guys is, Rob is a really cool guy yeah yeah. we actually just did a show together in Vegas oh and, really yeah and uh, he would come out on some of our shows I remember a long time I would come out and sing with him but we both got together at the end of the night and Tommy you know my guitar player Tommy Victor yeah him and I went out and we played a bunch of songs with Rob and John Five and the rest of the band oh that's cool yeah. so you did a dancing gig and then a zombie gig and then, and came then together. we came out at the end. The end. What songs great. did you do at the end? Oh, I think we did like some covers. Va- we did Vampira, Misfit okay. Song Vampira, and we did something else. I forget right now. Was it Skull? Okay. So it might have been. I forget what it was. <laughs> I yeah. saw you actually at the Metallica 30 uh, doing Die Die My Darling with them. Oh yeah, we did Die Die, and I think we did Green Hell. Yeah, yeah. too. Yeah, yeah, yeah. No, it's, that was great when they I, called I, me. I uh, still think that's one of the uh, most amazing feats that any band has ever done playing those 80 songs in four nights or whatever it was did you guys rehearse that or uh i i flew up that afternoon and just you know but we done it like uh, you know you talked about that tour uh the uh metallica danzig and suicidal tour mm-hmm. a couple times on those shows i came out and sang uh some stuff with them 
Um, so, you know, I remember actually they came to town once. It was during Sam Hain. Uh, I think it was when Sam Hain was turning into dance again. Mm-hmm. We would go into rehearsal places in New York and just jam on crap together yeah. and just beat up equipment, <laughs> smash it and play our songs. And, you know, uh, yeah, it was much different then. But, yeah, it was nice going up and seeing them all again. It was, yeah, it was a cool vibe. Show. It was very cool. Also, Jerry Cantrell was on. And, yeah, uh, everybody was there. Yeah. Biff from Saxon was there and Halford was there and Ozzy was, and Geezer were there. And Yeah. <laughs> it was so, cool. yeah, it was, it, you know, Jerry Cantrell happens to be one of my favorite guitar players. Oh, okay. And singers, too. He's a great singer. Oh, totally, yeah. yeah so. He always sang the doubles on all those Alice in Chains records. Yeah, I well, on right. live, too. Yeah. But I, they did uh, Nothing Else Matters that night, kind of acoustic. Mm-hmm. Uh, and, man, it was really good. Yeah, <laughs> good that moment, was, good yeah, moment. It was really, really good. Good moment. What's your favorite Danzig song to play live? It changes all the time. Does it? Yeah. Yeah, because you know how... Because you're in a band too, you know, sure. as a wrestler, so you know that you know you're playing a song, and you know, tonight it's this song. Yeah. And then you know you get tired of playing a song, but then you go out on stage, and all of a sudden, because of the audience, you like it again. Yeah, so, <laughs> yeah. So it changes all the time. Yeah. It just and, depends on what kind of a, of a reaction yeah. and energy you're getting. This last uh, couple tours, I, I, I would just stop, the you know, doing the set list, and I go. What do you guys want to hear? And we start telling them what we, you know, what we play. They want to hear this record, that record. Okay, you want to hear this song? And people screaming, you know, 80 different songs. <laughs> Did <laughs> like, you know okay. them all? And then you have to start going, okay, what about this song? Yeah, yeah. yeah. Okay, okay, then what about this? Whoever's loudest, then we'll play that song. Because yeah. there's always some of those songs, like, like maybe track number nine on the third record that you wrote it, recorded it, and haven't thought about it since. And so yeah. like, would you play, you know, Lazarus or whatever, one of our tunes? Like, I don't even remember how that goes. <laughs> like, I'm sorry. Man, I wish I could whip it up, but I have no idea. We uh, we have a lot of songs that we practice aside from the set. Really? Yeah. So uh, if we're down at rehearsal before the tour, we'll be rehearsing the set, and then we're rehearsing extra songs mm-hmm. and just brushing up on songs that aren't in the set, so just in case we feel like doing it. Yeah, which know? is good. And so we do a lot of that, and you know, people dig it too, so that's great. Man, it's great talking to you. I'm excited oh, man, to hear Dan. I'm glad we got to talk about wrestling too because I love wrestling. Oh, I know you do, man. <laughs> Whenever I see you, I was like, "Hey, I can I can tell that you're actually happy like to see like, "Hey, what's up, dude?" you know, yeah, which no, is cool. Yeah, yeah. yeah man. No, but I'm glad you're still healthy too. That's Well, yeah. I mean, it's yeah. you know, like you said both of us when you've been doing this for a long, long time to stay, you know, stay above water is pretty cool, so. Yeah, no, I still have injuries from the last run. Yeah. Cracked me. Uh, you know, you know. Yeah, yeah. we still broken other stuff, and uh, Phil too. You know, we, we still think we're eighteen. You know <laughs> in what? Our, in our <laughs> Danzig is back fronting the original Misfits. Well, at least for two Riot Fest gigs this Friday, September second in Denver. Uh, keep an eye out for uh, Victor from the Ascension. He's going to be there, and again on September sixteenth in Chicago. That's going to be huge as well. So, like I said, and who knows after these two gigs, if they decide they're having a great time, they could be doing a whole lot more. It's been over thirty years since the Misfits played the original lineup, and I'm very, very excited about it. I want to thank Glenn Danzig for taking the time to share so many great stories, and of course, not only the Misfits reunion, also be looking out. 
out for his upcoming studio album, Danzig Sings Elvis. And if you don't already have a copy of Danzig's skeleton album, you got to get one. All cover tunes, very cool. And you know where to get it, Amazon. Use the Talk is Jericho links and pick it up. All my Amazon links are at podcast1.com. Click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. I got Amazon links in the USA, the UK, the Canada. Every time you use the Talk is Jericho links, Amazon kicks back a small percentage to the show to help us cover production costs. You can buy anything you can think of. There's no extra fees or hidden challenges. Just go to Podcast One, click on the Killer Deals button in the top right corner of the page, then hit the Talk is Jericho button. Become a Talk is Jericho Amazon warrior as well. Post a picture of what you bought, and I will follow you, and I will uh, retweet you at Talk is Jericho on the Twitter. All right. I want to thank all you guys for checking that out, and thank all of you guys for checking out the rest of my great sponsors, DDP Yoga. Get 20% off the DDP Yoga program, and it's going to change your life, plus three months of full access to the DDP Yoga Now app. Just go to ddpyoga.com slash Jericho. I want to thank DraftKings. Use my promo code Y2J to play for free with your first deposit at DraftKings.com. Don't forget Indochino.com. Use my promo code Jericho to get any premium suit for just $399 and free shipping is included in that. And don't forget March 15, 2017, only 195 days from now when Mick Foley joins Talk is Jericho for the biggest podcast ever. And don't forget to keep listening for the 60-second AP News headlines coming up next. Thank you guys so much for being here. We've had a lot of great shows over the last few weeks. Michael Sweet from Striper was tremendous. Uh, you know, today, of course, with, uh, with, with Danzig, another, another great show. Uh, Johnny Bananas from MTV. The reality shows, man, those are grueling. Those are tough. I had no idea how much uh, physical battering he takes to in those shows. But we got a great one coming up for you on Friday, all right? It is the Amusement Parks of America uh, as uh, as recited by the two biggest fans of amusement parks I know, Cody Rhodes and Zack Ryder. That's right. It's Amusement Parks of America with Rhodes and Ryder, and they have got some great stories. They travel the states going to different amusement parks together with their respective girls and uh, have wacky adventures, arguments, fights, disagreements, uh, opinions on what rides are best. It's Zack Ryder and Cody Rhodes here on Friday talking about the uh, amusement parks of America. Who's going to bring a topic such as that only me we'll see you on friday thank you very much have a safe week and a big yeah boy you can download new episodes of talk is jericho every wednesday and friday at podcast one.com that's podcast one.com